Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Oh, Father God, we've come to this moment where we are wanting to hear a word from you. And so we pray that you open our hearts, our minds to the study of your word and give us the courage to follow through. For it is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you um, a statement or a, a paragraph, really, from a book that I read some, some uh, couple years ago. I thought it was a very impactful book for me. And, and the title of the book is Unchristian. Unchristian. It was written by uh, two people. One of them is David Kinneman. Now, David Kinneman is the president of Bar- the Barna Group. Now, I- I've often quoted the Barna Group, because the Barna Group, they, do, they conduct a number of studies on, on issues that affect Christianity. And so, uh, uh, David Kinneman, one of the authors of this book on Christian, he actually quotes a, a study that was done among young adults, young adults that see Christianity as hypocritical. So these are these young adults, they do this study, and these young adults see Christianity as hypocritical. And he says that the most obvious reason was that our lives don't match our beliefs. So this is, again, from the perspective of the young adults, our lives, you know, us Christians, uh, uh, don't match our beliefs. When it it comes to non-religious factors, the substance of, of people's daily choices, actions, and attitudes, there are few meaningful gaps between born-again Christians and non-born-agains. Think about it. Few meaningful gaps. When it comes to basically a life in general, there were few differences between those that are born-again and those that don't have a relationship with Christ. What do you think about that? Well, maybe some of you will say, well, I don't really put much substance in what these studies say. After all, you know, we can't change people's perspectives. And maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, some of these studies are a bit biased. But now I want to share with you another statement. And this statement it comes from the book Christ's Object Lessons, page 315. You can write this down and see it later. It's Christ's Object Lessons 315. Obviously, their author is Ellen White. This is what she says. Many who call themselves Christians are mere human moralists. They have refused the gift which alone could enable them to honor Christ by representing them or representing him to the world. The work of the Holy Spirit is to them a strange work. They are not doers of the word. The heavenly principles that distinguish those who are one with Christ from those who are one with the world have become almost indistinguishable. The professed followers of Christ are no longer a separate and peculiar people. The line of demarcation is indistinct. The people are subordinating themselves to the world, to its practices, its customs, its selfishness. The church has gone to the world in transgression of the law when the world should have come over to the church in obedience to the law. Daily, the church is being converted to the world. So maybe you don't place much emphasis on these studies, but if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, then, you know, 
this should be important to you because we believe Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, don't we? And so what she says is, in essence, exactly what the, the study found, that there are a few differences between those that are in Christ, those that are not. Again, the heavenly principles that distinguish those who are in the world with Christ from those that are not or, or, are in the world are almost indistinguishable. Yeah. Now, um, last time we were together, um, we talked about the, the message was a perfect reflection, a perfect reflection. Um, if you weren't here, uh, um, last time we were here on May 21st, uh, I invite you to, you can go onto our, the church's YouTube channel and look for a perfect reflection. But uh, just in a, 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 in a nutshell, just to summarize, uh, uh, we talked about this concept known as last generation theology. Last generation theology. And, and, and um, we, we summarized basically what this, this theology uh, believes, mainly that God, in, the, in the last days, God's last day saints, God's last day people, God's last day remnant must achieve a state of perfection, and that, that, that perfection is defined as sinlessness before Jesus comes in order to vindicate God. And that's why, and, and we showed a, a number of, of, of quotes from, in particular, M.L. Andreessen, who is credited to be, uh, uh, you know, the source of this. Uh, and so, this is what the last generation theology is. And, and, and we looked at this, we studied this, and, and we, we, we looked at what it meant to be perfect. Because remember, the, we define perfection as without, being, without flaws, without defects. And, and so we, we, we saw, in essence, that what the Bible is teaching us when we talk about biblical perfection is not necessarily to be without flaws or defects, but to be, be a perfect reflection of Jesus. That perfection, that perfection comes the moment we accept Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness is credited to us. And therefore, since Jesus is perfect, since he was righteous, now you have his righteousness, therefore you're perfect in that sense. But now, and by the way, there, there's a few, that ha- a few of you that had some questions after the message last, last time, in particular because probably if you grew up Adventist, you um, have been learning or hearing all the time about this, this perfection, and, and maybe you, you, you wonder, can I get to that point? So some of you had questions about this. You think about what about holiness? And we mentioned holiness last time, and we saw what holiness is. Holiness is defined as to be separate. God has made us separate. He wants us to be separate. He wants us to be distinct. That is not the same as perfection as we saw last time. Perfection as we define it without flaws, without defects, that's not the same as holiness to be separate. So today we're going to talk about holiness. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. We'll start with 2 Peter. In chapter 3, verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Now, just a little bit of context. The, the, the Apostle Peter reminds his audience that, that, that God is not slack concerning the promise of the coming of Jesus. Because you see, in his day, just like it happens in our day, there were those who were very critical. Oh, you know, things are going on the same way as they always been. It, there's nothing to see here. This means nothing. 
And this is exactly what's happening today. In fact, I remember, I may have told you this before, but when, when I first became, started uh, studying the Bible and eventually became a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, uh, when I started learning these truths, the first person I went to was my dad. And I said, Dad, Dad, I, I've been learning some great things. Jesus is coming soon. I was so excited to tell him that. He didn't share my, my, you know, my, my enthusiasm. He just simply said, oh, you know, they've been telling that since I was a little kid and nothing's really happening. So again, nothing to see here. And so here Peter is talking about that. And, and his answer is by saying that to, for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. That, that Jesus is coming. He's waiting a little longer because he's not willing that any should perish. Yet he will come as a thief in the night when all the elements will melt. And then he asks this question, chapter 3, verse 9, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Since this is happening, since Jesus is coming soon, since there's going to come a day when everything will be destroyed, what kind of persons are you to be? He's saying we ought to live as holy people. Because Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe Jesus is coming soon? You're not like those who say, I have nothing to see here. What you look at, when you look around every day, it tells us, oh man, something is going to happen. Jesus is indeed coming soon. And if you believe that, then what Peter's saying is that that response to that is that we ought to be living holy lives. And this is addressed to us. And so, what is your profile as a Christian? You know what a profile is, right? Especially in the age of social media, right? You create a profile, and that profile describes who you are. What is your profile as a Christian? What, about a Christ, what, what, what should a Christian look like? And certainly, this is not a popular uh, question today, because today we live in a time when anything goes, and to ask a question like that is insensitive. We live in a time where over, the overemphasis on an individualism actually poses a threat to our identity as believers. But friends, a believer, a Christian, and a Seventh-day Adventist, friends, should not claim that what they believe is a personal matter. It's not a personal matter. Why? But because we belong to a people. We belong to a group. We belong to a body. We belong to the God remnant people. So, so how you believe and how is that manifested affects the body as a whole. And so since the start of Christianity, the promise of the second coming of Jesus, the soon coming of Christ, ought to be a strong motivation to live holy lives. But, but holiness is not something that's new. It's not something that's relegated to us because Jesus is coming soon. Because this is a concept that we see all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. In fact... In the book of Hebrews, I believe I shared this passage last time. In the book of Hebrews, um, Paul, after talking about the running the race of faith, in Hebrews 12.4, he says that we ought to make every effort to be holy. We ought to be make every effort to be what? Holy. To be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How many of you want to see the Lord? You want to see the Lord? Uh, not, everybody, not, not everybody raised, rose their hands. Huh? So not, not everybody wants to see the Lord. But if you want to see the Lord, notice what he says. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. So is holiness important? It certainly is important. 
But people are uncomfortable when you talk about holiness. They think, you, you, you think about holiness like uh, the image of, uh, that comes to your mind is that of, a, of an old man with white beard dressed in white. You think about holiness as something that's relegated to the church on Sabbath morning. Charles Swindle, he's an evangelical pastor, he, he, he's, um, he shared something about holiness that I thought was interesting. And he said that holiness sounds scary. It need not be, but to the average American, it is. Our tendency is to think that holiness should, be, should never find its way into the office of a salesperson. Certainly not that of an aggressive and successful athletics coach, nor would a a mother of small children be that concerned about holiness, nor a teenager involved in a busy high school, nor some collegian pursuing a career with his or her eyes on great financial goals. Let's face it, holiness is something for the cloistered halls of the monastery. It needs organ music, long prayers, and religious-sounding chants. It hardly seems appropriate for, the, uh, for those in the real world of the 21st century. And yet here we are. Here we are. We see that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness is something important. We realize that God expects holiness. Amen. Let's go to our scripture reading in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, 1, uh, verses 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that it is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. All of your conduct. Why? Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter had just introduced his letter by encouraging the church, his audience, to rejoice in the middle of trials because of their heavenly inheritance. In other words, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and Jesus is coming soon. So, yeah, you're going through trials and tribulations, but, but keep your head forward. Keep your head high. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus is coming soon. Keep your hope on that. Now, rest your hope on that. The question is, how is this hope characterized? And Peter says, as obedient children, not behaving like we used to when we didn't know any better. Huh? Not behaving like you used to before you came to the knowledge of Jesus. See, before you came to the knowledge of Jesus, you had a particular lifestyle. There were places that you would go to. There was things that you used to do. There was a way that you used to dress. There was a way you used to adorn yourself. There was a way in people that you used to associate with. But when you come to Jesus, there is a change. There ought to be a change. And and Paul speaks of this in in Romans 6 when he uses the analogy of of the baptism, right? Because when we're baptized, that old person dies. And there's a newness of life. We ought to be walking in a newness of life. There ought to be a change in in who we are, in our lifestyle, the moment we come to Jesus. And so Paul, Peter is actually saying, he associates holiness with not behaving like he used to before. 
So, so the idea here is that if you're living like you used to before you came to Christ, or if you're living and imitating the lifestyle of those who are not in Christ, then you're not living a holy life. That's what Peter's saying here. And why should we be holy? Again, because the one who called us said, be holy for I am holy. So I, I suppose the first thing we need to do is we need to look at God. And God says that he is holy. He is holy. Now, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we, we have the story of Hannah. You remember Hannah was barren, and there in the, in, in the tabernacle, that she, she was praying, and she, she asked God to give, him, to give her a male child, and she made a deal with, with him, you give me a male child, dedicate him to you, and God answered her prayer, and Samuel was born, and so after that, she, she, she prays a, thanks, a prayer of thanksgiving. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. You can write this down and look at it later. 1 Samuel 2, 2. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And so the the first thing that we we, we see when we think about the holiness of God is that that holiness is manifested on the fact that there's nobody like him. There is nobody like our God. Our God is special. Our God is unique. There's nobody like him. In fact, in, in Leviticus chapter 11, and we're going to go there, in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45, um, this is actually where Peter's quoting from. So when Peter, it says in, in, in 1 Peter uh, 1.16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy, it is written in Leviticus 11, chapter 40, uh, verses 44 and 45. That's where he's quoting from. And so in that passage says, again, Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, It says, for I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defy yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, if you're familiar with Leviticus 11, you know that uh, that, that God had just finished giving instructions to the Israelites about what to eat and what not to eat. Right? And so, uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, we, we don't eat pork, we don't eat shrimp, that kind of things, because God is interested in that, that we're healthy people, right? And, but but I, I will say that while health is an important reason why we should follow these, um, these guidelines written in Leviticus 11, the primary reason is holiness. That's the primary reason. This is why, as we continue reading the chapter, we come to that point. Consecrate yourself. Don't defile yourself. Be holy because I am holy. So the reason we ought not to eat pork or, 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 or we ought to follow these guidelines is because God wants you to be holy people. He wants you to be different. He wants you to stand out. And wouldn't you stand out? When, you are, when we're in, in a world that's so full of sickness and disease and, and with COVID and everything, how, what, what example that would have given if Seventh-day Adventists never got it? Why? Because we're, we're following the guidelines of Scripture. What example that would have given? We would have stood out. But again, the primary reason is holiness. We ought to follow this because God wants you to be holy. But now in, 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 in verse 45... It's interesting that God highlights the fact that it was he who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, while they were in Egypt, 
as you may imagine, there they were exposed to all this polytheism and all these gods. They learned about all these gods and, and maybe they participated of the worship of all these gods. And so God is telling them here, listen, I am not like those gods you learned about in Egypt. Huh? I am a different God. I'm the one who set you free. I'm the one who liberated you. Those so-called gods have nothing on me. I am holy. I am different. And because I am holy, I expect you to be the same way. So what God is telling them here. God is higher, high above any other. No one can compare to our God. Psalm 40, uh, 40 verse 5, I, I, sh- I shared that with you earlier. Many, O Lord, O my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. I, if I would declare and speak of them, they were, are more than they can be numbered. God's holiness pervades his entire nature. His entire being, it shapes all his attributes. His love is holy love. His mercy is holy mercy. And even his anger and his wrath are holy anger and holy wrath. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with you, it's still hard to grasp for us what God is like. It can be difficult to understand him in, in its entirety. But this is one reason it's easy, uh, there's e- it's easy because we have Jesus. And Jesus became a human being. We can look at Jesus. We can, we can see who he was. We can see what he did. We can then relate and say, this is what it means to be holy. Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And in John chapter 14, verse 9, he responds to, to um, Philip's um, desire, show us the Father. John 14, 9 have I been with you that so long, and yet I, um, you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So God the Father is holy. But Jesus and the Father are one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So if you meditate and you become like Jesus, you become holy. Jesus was holy in everything that he did. He clearly lived a holy life. And this is what holiness looked like in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Let this mind, be, uh, uh, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. God's desire has always been for his people to live holy lives. It's always been the case. After redeeming the Israelites out of Egypt, he told them in Exodus 19, verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When God told the Israelites there in Leviticus 11 and in Leviticus 19 uh, about living holy, he was instructing them to be distinct, to be different from the nations that are around them. And he did this by giving them specific regulations that they were to live by. Israel was God's chosen nation, and God had set them apart from other people groups. They were his special people, and consequently, they were given special standards that God wanted them to live by so that the world would know that they belonged to him. And you know, God still wants the world to know that you belong to him. That's why we ought to be holy people. When Peter repeats the words of, uh, in 1 Peter 1.16, You know, many, many years later, he's talking to the church. 
These are words for us, for you and me, today living in 2022. Be holy, for I am holy. As believers, we need to be set apart from the world unto the Lord. We need to be living by God's standards, not, not by the standards of the world. Now, again, as I mentioned last time, God is not calling us to perfection as we define perfection without, without uh, a default, uh, any faults or, or, or defects. But he is calling us to be different. He is calling us to be different, to stand out, to be distinct from the world. In 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter quotes from Exodus 19, verse 6, he says believers are a holy nation. We are separated from the world. We need to live that reality in our lives in everything that we do, every day of our lives. But is that the reality? Is this the reality? Again, let me quote from the book on Christian that I mentioned earlier. The research revealed that born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. For instance, in one study, they found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again Christians were just as likely to gamble or bet to visit a pornographic website, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic, to abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have an illegal non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that wasn't true, to talk behind someone else's back. There was no difference. There was no difference. And maybe some of the things that are mentioned here something that you struggle with. Well, please don't, don't, don't misinterpret me when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm saying, again, I'm not calling uh, and saying that, that we Christians need to be perfect as we define perfection. Because as we saw lifetime, perfection, last time, perfection comes by us being a reflection of Jesus, accepting the gift of salvation, his righteousness becomes yours, i.e., then you're perfect. But we must accept the fact that God wants us to be different in every area of our lives as compared to non-believers. That's what it means to be holy. And if we're, if we're living like those around us, if we're imitating those around us, then clearly we're not living holy lives. You know, I, I remember some years ago I, I heard a sermon by C.D. Brooks. You remember C.D. Brooks. And he was commenting on the fact that it used to be there was a time... When, if you were a Seventh-day Adventist, you were easy to pick up. Yeah. Something about you, the way you, you dressed, the way you talked, the way you behaved, the way you adorned yourself stood out. Oh, that's a Seventh-day Adventist. And, and, and in his sermon, he's saying that's not the case anymore. He, 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 was, he was commenting on the fact that, that today I can't know by, by, by what a person looks like if they're a Seventh-day Adventist or not. Because things have changed. Why is that? Why is that, friends? Can I be honest with you guys? I hope I can be honest with you, folks. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have some unique beliefs or, or doctrines, if you want to call them, that, that we don't share with other Christian denominations. And, and because of this, sometimes we are accused of being, I don't know, a weird, 
or taking things to the extreme. But we must acknowledge that the Seventh-day Adventist church, this movement, has a unique understanding of the Bible and of prophecy because God has raised this movement for such a time as this to prepare people to meet Jesus. That's the way it is. We're special in that sense. So, if we belong to this movement, if you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist, doesn't it make sense that you would adhere to the biblical principles that this church stands for? Again, you go back to C.D. Brooks. We don't even look like Seventh-day Adventists anymore. Why? Because I think in some ways we've tried to imitate those around us. We become like the Israelites. You remember the Israelites in the time of Samuel? They asked him, this is 1 Samuel 8, 6, make us a king so that he will judge us like the other nations. And, and God, and, and of course Samuel was saddened by that, and God told him, listen, don't, 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 uh, don't be saddened by that because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. See, the, 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 the Israelites did not want to be unique or different. The Israelites did not want to be holy. They wanted to be like everyone else. Maybe they rationalized by saying, oh, I don't see anything wrong with it. But I feel, friends, that the fact that we're not seeing anything wrong with things are making us more like the world instead of the world becoming more like us. Friends, there is something about holiness, of being different, of being set apart. And I think that it is indeed true that as we look around us, it's hard to tell anymore. And yet God expects holiness still. Again, remember what we talked about last time, perfection and holiness are two different things. Perfection, not without flaw, that's not what, what God is talking about, but indeed holiness is expected. And so how can we become holy people? Holiness only results from a right relationship with God. From a right relationship with God by believing that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You see, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know God, if you could care less about the gift of salvation, then the pursuit of holiness makes no sense. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a vain pursuit. And so we must first start by making sure that we're born-again believers. Nicodemus, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Again, being born again implies that, that your old life is, you, you, that person has died and you're living a newness of life. And living a newness of life implies that you're no longer behaving like you used to before you came to know Jesus. If we are truly believers, we must recognize that our position in Christ automatically sets us apart from the world. After all, we have a relationship with the living God, and it's such we must be living a set-apart life, not trying to blend in with the world, but instead living according to the standards of God's Word. You know, in, in, in Zambia, I don't know, is there anybody from Zambia here? I, I understand that in Zambia, there is a unique river called, uh, the, the name of the river is Laupula. Laupula, and the name Laupula means cutting through. And the reason it got this name is because it cuts through three lakes and several mountains before it reaches the ocean. 
And what makes this river unique is that as it cuts through these lakes, and as it cuts through these mountains, it does not change speed, nor does it mix with the lakes by which it passes. It keeps its identity. And friends, I think that we, as God's people, need to be like this river. We travel through the world, but we are not to become like the world. We are to be dead to the world, undiluted, separate. We ought to be holy. Holy. And so today I want to challenge you to make take an inventory of your life. And as you, as, you, as you make this inventory, you, you pick out anything that, that you think is separating you from God, anything that, that maybe is making you more like the world, you take it out, you throw it away. We need to be bold about this, friends. Remember what Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, take it out. Because this is better to make it you know, to heaven without one eye that, than, to, than to be burned in, in, the, in, the, in the hellfires. So today, go home and much prayer, ask God to show you what I need to get rid of in my life because the God who has called us wants us to be holy because he is holy. When we become like Jesus, we will be holy. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.